If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra in on-trend hues like green, citron, and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. about this episode of Get Real Podcast. I have Laura Hutfuss joining me. She is the co-founder and owner of Flight View, which is an entertainment marketing agency that helps brands connect. <laughs> There's Sunny. She's saying hello. That helps brands connect to consumers via the power of entertainment, pop culture, and sports. Um, Laura is a really incredible, resilient person. She has gone through a lot and we talk about it. Um, she struggled with anorexia that was sunny burping she struggled with anorexia in um junior high and high school and it got really serious and she almost lost her life to it um and she talks about that very openly and vulnerably and it's really it's a powerful story she also talks about how she became the head of this amazing corporation flight view that company that she's running and they do business differently they're all about giving back they give back such a large percentage of what they make and their projects are all very soulful and creative and unique. Each each project that they do is special and it's full of love and you can feel it. And I love hearing her talk about it. So I can't wait for y'all to hear how they run their business. And um, she also was in love with a guy named Austin and he was a survivor of Columbine. And he went on to use his life to speak to others and to spread a message of... Um, just a, a message of surviving a terrible incident like that. And he ended up losing his life to addiction um, recently. And Laura talks about that. It's been a really painful season for her, but as she has done with everything else in her life, she has turned that into something to help others. And she has started a outreach program where you can go to onsite, which is an organization where it's intensive, just therapy, and it helps you get to the core 
uh, really painful issues and deal with them and help heal yourself. And it's this program is called Triumph Over Tragedy, and it is for victims of mass shootings, the survivors of mass shootings. There's a mass shooting a day. I did not know that. But this program that she's created in this outreach is for people who have survived mass shootings. So if you know someone who has survived or if you are a survivor of a mass shooting, um, check this website out, www.theonsitefoundation.org. And that's spelled T-H-E-O-N-S-I-T-E-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N.org. And spread the word because it's it's needed and a lot of people could use this who've been through something that's traumatic. And I just love Lara. I love her heart and I love all that she's doing to help heal people that she loves and those that she knows need, needs it. So here she is, Lara Hutfliss. I am really excited to be here with Lara Hutfliss. You are just really such an inspiring person. And I've gotten to know you on the business side first ever really before I got to know you on the personal side, which has just been such a blessing for me because A, you're a powerhouse in the business world. You are co-founder and owner of FlightView, which mm-hmm. is, how do you describe FlightView? Uh, we're an entertainment marketing agency that helps brands connect to consumers via the power of entertainment, pop culture, music, and sports. So that's awesome and Thanks. so cutting edge. Thanks, go on. <laughs> <laughs> But it is because it's like you really use social media, you use all sorts of internet outlets, you use um, like I started working with you with Cracker Barrel because they had all sorts of online platforms to showcase really awesome talent in a way that was like kind of revolutionary. Like Cracker yeah. Barrel did warehouse sessions and they had that aired on their Facebook Live like as a platform. Yeah. And then Cracker Barrel did, uh, what was it, 50 Generations of Women. Five decades, one voice. Yeah. Uh-huh. 50 so, generations. Yep. Gosh, that's like all of time. <laughs> we'll go for the talking points again. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was to celebrate their 50th anniversary uh, and uh, celebrating f- five decades of women in music. Yeah. Pairing icons with emerging artists uh, to connect emotionally to consumers. And something that I think, you know, as a brand, you really struggle with because it's a product, but right. music has the ability to connect people. Um, all different ages, races, um, really globally. And so a lot of brands are now realizing the power of music to connect to consumers. I just love that. I love how creative FlightView is. Like y'all get with brands and it's not just like, okay, let's just post a picture or let's just like have a magazine article or let's have a radio spot. It's like, how can we come up with a creative way that, like you said, really Mm -hmm. connects with consumers touches heartstrings and is unique like it's a unique experience for this brand partnership yeah ad well, campaign or whatever I we're guess known be. for being first so okay. yeah so our tagline is another flight view first so every program that we do there has to be a first element okay so what, what does that mean exactly it, it means we have to be the first to do something <laughs> right so uh i'll use a campaign we did for tennessee tourism um with garth brooks uh to celebrate uh garth achieving the seven diamond status and so we did a big concert downtown seven diamond status means seven million it means no, seven 10 million. diamond diamond albums. is 10 million so he sold 70 million seven albums. albums that are 10 million or more so wow. he surpassed the beatles i mean it's a massive wow. achievement and so we did a big show downtown and the only way in was via snapchat so it was the first ticketed event via snapchat Wow. Um, we did just this past year the first Super Bowl uh, commercial created um, by women 
um, which was for Bumble. I saw that. And uh-huh. was Serena Williams in it? Serena Williams was the star. Yes. So, so you're creating do, all this? Yeah. So everything we do, there's a first element, and that's really what we take pride in. It also means there's a lot of obstacles, um, and I think that's just been a theme of my life, really, is pushing through obstacles. Um, I love being the first to try something or do something. It also means you can't be afraid of failing. We've done that, too, on many occasions. Uh, but you'll never really um, do anything great unless you push through that and dive into that fear. So I'm really proud of my team. Uh, they know that when they sign up to work at Flight View that that's a requirement. So when you're hiring someone, mm-hmm. how do you even hire someone? Because it's so wide open. It's such a creative uh-huh. like, canvas. Like what you're going to be doing is wide open because you don't know, like you really have to dream it up based on what walks in the door, who, what brand wants to work with you. And then you just like sit down and start hashing out creative ideas. Like how do you even get to Snapchat, Snapchat ticket? Yeah. Um, well first talking about hiring, I hire for culture, making sure someone's a culture fit that they align with our mission, vision and values. Tell me what your mission, vision and values are. Yeah. Um, so our mission and vision um, one is to create life's best moments um, oh, I love for that. fans and for anyone that we interact with with our programs. Um, two is to uh, serve our clients with excellence, and that means transparency and honesty. Um, and the idea of service in general, I think, is a lost art because um, we're such a self-centered culture mm-hmm. um, to walk in and really think we're serving the client's best interests, not our own. Um, It's really a mindset that we have to build from the beginning. And then lastly is give back. And so uh, we do that financially. Um, Every year we give back a portion of proceeds to the community. This year we're at 25% of profits. And so we increase that 5% every year, which is pretty substantial. And this year we allowed our employees to choose that. So uh, what happens if you get to 55%? (laughs) Is there a cap? (laughs) Yeah, there may be when we get that far. But I honestly, uh, Jeremy, my business partner, and I started the company because we wanted to prove that we could work in entertainment. We could do what we love. uh, We could support artists and musicians and talent. And we could make a difference um, in this space. And we weren't seeing a lot of companies doing that. Um, And then also just within the campaigns that we do, there's always a give back element, uh, whether it's on the back end of the deals that we're making or it's actually part of the campaign or the program. So one example is a program with Enterprise that we did uh, called Share the Code Hit the Road. And uh, it was an event ticketed via acts of kindness. That was the only way to get into the show. Wow. Yeah, that was a really fun program. Uh, it was with Zach Brown the first year and One Republic this past year. So how fulfilling is this? <laughs> I mean, I know this has to be so hard because to get all of this red tape path to cross through all this red tape, like it is so hard to get anything done because you got managers, you got publicists, you've got, I mean, who else? There's so many people. You got uh-huh. label reps a lot of the time. You got record heads. You have so many high ups when yeah. you're dealing with like an artist per se and a brand. Mm-hmm. How do you get stuff cleared? Does yeah. it take forever? You know, I just think that anything worth doing is going to be hard. And you're willing to just... And you can't take no from an answer. I mean, there have been times where I have literally driven to an executive's office and sat in their office until they give me an answer. Um, so you're just not taking an easy no. You can't, No is a suggestion. <laughs> no is a suggestion. No That's, is a yeah. suggestion. I love um, that. 
actually, I had an employee once say, no is a modified yes. <laughs> and so that's been the attitude that we've adopted. And people don't like change. And so to do something different, it's uncomfortable. And most people would rather just keep an easy um, life. And, yeah. and that's not what we accept at our company or with our team is we want to do things that have impact, which means you have to push through that no. And no just means that path, that door is closed. Mm-hmm. But there's five other doors. So right. let's so find don't just, another door. Don't just stick with yeah. that one door. Yeah. You have to be creative, and that's where our creativity comes in. Um, my background is art. I was an art major. Really? My mom was an art teacher, so I had this really creative upbringing. So many fun stories there. <laughs> um, and I think that's what allow, allows me to be creative in the business sense, to figure out how to structure deals differently or how to sell in programs differently. Um, I think creativity is so lost, uh-huh. especially in with this with young generations coming up, because um, they're not creativity is not demanded of them because everything is given to us on devices or phones. Mm -hmm. It's done for us already. Where when I was little, if I wanted it, I dreamed it up. I drew Mm -hmm, it, you know, mm -hmm. I, I imagined it and that's what I had to play with. I had leaves and sticks and and crayons and that really served the purpose of everything that I ever wanted to create. Where did this deep burning passion, um, almost like, it's like non-negotiable sense of we have to give back as well. We have to impact. We have to give back as well as having a career and having financial. You obviously want to have financial success, mm-hmm. but it sounds to me like financial success is just it's almost like a byproduct. Like, yes, yeah. you want to make a living, but you want to make an impact more than anything. Where did that come from? I think it's in all of us. But where, why you know, did you I, decide to fight for it to make it, make yeah. it your stance? Because a lot of people are like, I'd rather just make a big check. Yeah, I, my faith is very important to me. And I grew up uh, knowing to give back a portion was kind of instilled um, in me by my parents. And as I grew, I started realizing that that's what brought me the most joy. Mm. And also realizing I, I am so grateful to just be born in America, right? To be born into the family that I was with two parents who loved me. Um, I've received so many blessings that I now have the ability to to give that back. And seeing so many people who don't have that and who are hurt and suffering, and we we each have the ability to make an impact in somebody's life. So that brought me the most joy. Um, it was almost my duty or my calling. Like you feel, mm-hmm. you feel like this is yeah. your duty. Yeah. I do. I, th- I think it's a responsibility. Like when you've been blessed to, to give it back. And I started challenging myself to give back um, in a way that was uncomfortable. And so the fi- I mentioned the 5% we increase every year. It gets uncomfortable. And it's amazing to when you do that to see how it comes back. How has it come and back? I mean, we've literally grown so much every year. Um, we're now a team of 30 in just um, a little over four years. And we continue to have growth and success. And that's not just financial, but just with, with people and um, our team. And every time we give beyond what we think we can, it comes back tenfold. And so I always, I vision it as it's not mine. Mm. Like that coming back is, it's not mine. It's just my job to steward it. 
And that's how I've viewed so many things in my life, even like my gifts and my talents. I didn't give myself those. Right. You're born. I developed them. I worked hard to develop them, but it's now my responsibility to use those and give those back. That's really, really amazing. Yeah. I think when you walk into it with open hands saying none of it's mine, it's much easier to give when your hands open than when it's closed and you think it's yours. That's so much harder. So I just try to walk into every situation with open hands and then it just falls, <laughs> falls out. You're so, um, <clears throat> you're so, uh, your heart is so transparent. Thank like, you. and you've really been through it. <laughs> and I feel like you have walked through so, you, you came in here and you said, my life is in so many chapters, which chapter you, yeah. do you wanna talk <laughs> about? And I'm like, I wanna talk about all of them. Uh-huh. But you also led with, Kobe Bryant died yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know how that feels mm-hmm. to have shocking news of losing the most important person in your life. Mm-hmm. So will you talk about that a little bit? Because now yeah. grief and grief yeah. therapy and you've created a whole place for people to go and deal with their grief because you are really so uh, so pure in your intentions of let's talk about this grief. Let's mm-hmm. deal with it. Let's Let's move through it. Let's not hide from it. Yeah. So talk to me about like how today hit you like yesterday with like Kobe Bryant and how it relates to you and yeah. Well, last May, uh, I lost my significant other, uh, to addiction. And so I know what it's like to lose someone unexpectedly to get a phone call that just pulls the rug out from underneath you uh, and you don't even know which way is up or down. And because this was your love. Yeah. This was the person I loved and expected to spend my life with the rest of my life with, um, and completely unexpected. Um, he had fought and was in recovery from addiction for years since I met him. So I, I understood very little about addiction and didn't think it was something that could come back. Um, and I realized how uh, naive I was <laughs> that it's something that you always, it's a disease that's always with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to treat it like a disease and take care of it. And so I i was completely naive, so I was blindsided. And so the news of Kobe passing and all the other families um, that were lost in, in the crash, I can put myself in, in their shoes and, and in the loved ones who are left behind to understand what it feels like to get that call. And first the shock, then the denial, then the grief, then the anger. Uh, There's so many emotions in grief in the grief process. Um, And to wake up the next morning and think it's a dream or hope it's a dream. That's what you said the next morning. The next morning was the worst. Um, Because it's like, it's like this wasn't this wasn't real. This wasn't real. You wake up and then it's the first thought. And for months after, it's the first thought. And you think, is it ever not going to be my first thought? Um, is it? it? It is a thought, but it becomes um, less overwhelming. And I think walking through the grief process for me, it's like the first months, it's just waves that take you under, that feel like they take you under. And then as you start to work through that, 
and I had great resources to do that, uh, the waves become, the waves will still crash, but they won't take you under. And you realize you can stand and your feet are on the ground and that you can continue walking forward. Um, I think processing all of the emotions, I called it the cul-de-sac of grief. It was like anger, betrayal, you know, sadness, um, just so many emotions that it took me a while to kind of unmap those to, so that I could move forward and not circle. Okay, so you're just going in a circle yes. through them all. Yeah. Well, you had to understand them, get to know them, feel yeah. them. I had to fully process each emotion to and I guess you have to not walk hate forward. Them. Oh, yeah. No, you can't. It's a process. And it's your body's natural way of healing. It's like our bodies are amazing. I'm so amazed by them. Um, and it's really our, like we have an ability to heal. And it's so beautiful that God made us that way. And like knew that we would have these emotions and put them there. In fact, when I learned that um, tears of grief and are different, different chemical makeup than tears of joy. Really? And they look different I, under a microscope. Yes. And when I learned that, I thought, well, great. Then I'm going to cry as much as I can <laughs> to get this all out of me. Just cry and, and get it out. Does that yeah, help at least? It's part. Yes. It, your body has to release that. I mean, those chemicals are I don't want to say toxic, but like they're the chemical makeup is that of one which like it needs to flush out of your system. So anytime part of my process was anytime I felt like crying, I just cry as much as I wanted to. There was no holding back. And I I think that really helped me really process it and feel okay to do that. So you so you mentioned where I've been since then. Um I think in grief you can choose two different paths. One is to isolate and uh, to maybe ignore it and not process it. The other way is to move forward, move into the hard journey. There's no way around but through. Mm -hmm. So to dive in it and to hopefully one day turn that pain into purpose. Mm. And that's what I've tried to do. Um, Part of the story is that my significant other was a, a survivor of Columbine mass shooting 20 years ago and so when he passed away um he was well known in that community he was speaking about it he was speaking um he had a tedx talk that was very popular um he was a commentator for cnn and fox and he he was always the first one there reporting on it when when a mass shooting occurred which now is one a day fortunately one a a day one a day no Mm -hmm. Yep. No, yes. there's one mass there's shooting, one mass a, shooting day? a day in America in or America. all over the world. Yep. No, in America, we have, oh, uh, highest rates in America by far than anywhere else in the world. One a day? Yeah. And so when he passed away, I started receiving phone calls and texts and emails from other survivors who had lost hope because if he had lost his battle 20 years later, what was the hope for them? Because they were still struggling to and they were to leaning on through. him. Yeah, and so I tried to find a resource to send them to or help them, and I couldn't find one. And I quickly realized that something had to be built. There, there wasn't one. There's a lot of uh, there's a a lot of resources in the immediate, uh, but after even a year, those go away. And so many people, just in the first year, they don't even realize what's happened. It's after a year when they start to process and they start to feel. PTSD and have nightmares and anxiety, depression, all of those things. Um, so anyway, I partnered uh, 
with OnSite. So I joined the board of the OnSite Foundation, which Tell is... Tell us about OnSite. Yeah, OnSite is a... OnSite Foundation um, is a 501c3 nonprofit, and they seek to provide uh, trauma-informed therapies and emotional health education to those who need it most but otherwise can't afford it. And uh, we started working together and developed a program specifically for survivors of mass shootings wow. called Triumph Over Tragedy. It's a six-day workshop. It's uh, hosted on the 250-acre campus outside Nashville. Uh, and so we announced it. We opened applications, and the first workshop will be in March. Wow. Um, and we've received at least 25 applicants a day. Um, I mean, the need is greater than we ever imagined. And wow. so... Um, I'm really excited to see that program grow. Uh, there's some really exciting things happening uh, with that. And we'll we'll need to scale and do more workshops now that we know the need. Uh, wow. But it, to see that come from such a dark place in my life is just a reminder that there is beauty from ashes. And I'm so blessed that really I, I've had a, some minuscule role in, in seeing that come to life um, and that God chose to use what was my darkest day um, and turned it into just a bright light for so many. But you let him. You yeah. let God use it. I always say we're the vessel, right? So many people say, um, you're the light in the darkness. And I'm not the light. Like, we're not the light. Like, we are the vessel, the cracked vessel through which the light can shine through. And that's how I visualize myself in this role is just a vessel with cracks that the light can shine through to others. And that's my role is to let it shine through and not try to fill it, right? To let to let my cracks show. Mm -hmm. It's the only way that others will see that light. So and that's how I feel about you. Like yeah. you walk in here and it's just like a very calm, easy energy. Like you have nice. a lot that you've been through, but you don't feel heavy. Like your energy is not yeah. heavy. You feel very light. You feel very open. You feel very like I'm going to share it all mm -hmm. because my life is to help others heal. Like, that's how yeah. I feel with you. Like that you're Thank so you. wanting to use what's happened in your life to help others. Yeah. Like it's like, it's a mission for you. It is. I, I don't really know where that comes from. Uh, <clears throat> other than I, I'm just amazed at how great my God is. And I've seen him show up in every chapter. Well, he's been in every chapter. He's written the chapters. <laughs> And I think when I think about it that way, I just have such a, um, a calling to tell other people about it. And I just, every morning I wake up and I'm doing this 70 day prayer journal where it's like a process that I follow every morning and I pray for specific things and, um, for specific people. And it also has a section in the back for answered prayer. And I get so excited every morning cause I'm like, okay, what am I going to get to put in the back today? <laughs> Um, and so I think when I'm in, when I've been intentional like that in times of my life, it, it, your eyes are open to just all of the answered prayers. So many times we skim right past cause we, I say sometimes I've, I've used God as a vending machine. God, <laughs> it's like, what do I need today? I'll press the button and hopefully he'll, he'll shoot it out. But it, that's not how a relationship works or, mm -hmm. um, how I think my God, my relationship with God works. It's, I, I need to spend time and I am so excited at seeing how God has answered those prayers because it then gives me courage to ask for bigger things and do bigger things and take risks and speak out more because I, I can see the effects. Yeah. 
So tell me a little bit about Austin and oh. your love story. Um, gosh, uh, well, we didn't know each other long, um, but from the time that we met, it was one of those instantaneous, <clears> like, <throat> this is it. That's it for me. Um, Where'd y'all meet? We actually met it on site. Yeah. What had brought y'all both there? Are you allowed to talk about this? Yeah. Oh, you don't have to <laughs> talk. Oh, yeah. Let's I'm talk just asking all the most personal think, yeah. things in real life. I think you signed something that says uh, you can't. Yeah. Like, talk about I think is, he, you can talk about going, yeah. but maybe you can't talk about specifics. Yeah, I'll tell you why I, w- I went to Onsite. I went to Onsite because, um, you know, I had just, this is actually a funny story. I started the company four years ago. Um, I had started that straight from a another very uh, busy job in entertainment. Uh, and so there wasn't a break there. And then I worked four years building the company, no week, like no weekends, no time off, no vacations. Uh, we got our first Super Bowl campaign. So went right into that, which is, by the way, I'd never done a commercial before, never done a TV <laughs> ad. And I got the call to do a Super Bowl spot. And I was like, sure. <laughs> totally. Like, why would I say yes to that? Yeah, you I got this. Yeah, it's like six weeks. Can you do a spot? <clears throat> sure. Yeah, and get Serena Williams. Um, so that, you nailed it. Yeah, that was, so I, I don't know. I just, I probably, I have no fear. So anyway, I dove into that and while we were going through that, it was a beautiful experience, but I knew I was burned out. And we got, and every, all of my friends had been to onsite and they kept telling me, you need to go. It's just like a good reset. And so I was at Super Bowl, literally in the box, watching the game. And I went into the bathroom and I shut the door and I called the CEO of Onsite Miles and I said, okay, I think that I need to come. Like, this is the end of my rope. Like I, you hit the end of your rope just in the, at the at the Super Bowl. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I realized I was on this hamster wheel and everything was happening for me in such great ways. And I thought, I, even though it's all good things and nothing bad has happened, I can't get off. Mm. And I don't know how to get off. And I thought, ooh, I'm missing some tools here because if it keeps going at this rate, I'm done. And I called him and I said, I think I need to come. Okay, I'm, I'm ready to come. So this was in January. So I said, okay, how about June? And he said, how about next week? Uh-huh. I said, I think if I say no, then I really have a problem. So <laughs> I should probably just drop everything and go. So I canceled, I mean, this is the week after Super Bowl, our biggest moment of our company. And I canceled every interview, wow. everything, wow. and cleared my schedule. And I called my business partner and said, I'm, actually I texted him. <laughs> I was afraid <laughs> to call. I said, I just want you to know, I'm going to onsite next week because they don't allow phones or computers or anything. Which is awesome. And his text back was, I'm proud of you. What a great partner. Oh my gosh. You so, know you're with the right partner yes. when they want your mental health to be a yes. top priority. Oh my gosh. That was the most beautiful gift he could have given me. No questions asked. Just, I'm proud of you. So I did. So um, I went there because I wanted some tools. Did you get um, the tools? I did get the tools. Yeah, I did. Um, and then that's where, where I met Austin. That's where the journey began. Yeah, and, and only a few short months later is when... Um, you know, he passed away and this journey began, but because I had been through the program first and had those tools, so many others, I'm so thankful because I was able to handle that situation so differently than what I would have Okay. before going. And that's another great thing about just doing therapy and doing your work. Sometimes you don't know, you may be learning tools that aren't relevant 
to you at that moment, but you never know when they're going to be. And so don't wait until that moment to get them. Smart. Yeah. Be prepared. Yes. Go, go do your work and, and get the tools so that you'll be ready. And it's like clear out that baggage. Like I feel like, um, we can so easily just drag around baggage that causes this fear, anxiety, being stuck on a hamster wheel, not knowing how to do like all sorts of grief. Like, yeah. and it's like if we don't figure out how to deal with it, then it just piles and piles and piles up. Yeah, I back to the empty vessel that I talked about. We can fill that with a lot of things to medicate and to fill that emptiness. I think we all have like this emptiness we're trying to fill, and if you fill it with the wrong things, man, it's it's can't shine light right it becomes very dark Mm -hmm. and very lonely and so I constantly am thinking what it what have I filled my vessel with that I shouldn't be putting in there wow to take it out and um it's a it's a daily practice of like recognizing those things wow so part of Austin's story was he had being in Columbine that's very traumatic Mm -hmm. so he had dealt with some addiction Mm-hmm. And then he was turned, he turned his life around to speak yeah. about it. Yeah. But that's so heavy. Like when you yeah. deal with something that traumatic. Yeah. Was he like, the shooters were like all around him and, oh God, I, I haven't, I don't want to make you relive any of this. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's heavy for thousands of survivors. And I think his story opened my eyes to the thousands of people living with, trauma with that type of trauma which is I guess in the last 10 years new right it's something that I can't believe this is a new thing yeah it's now a thing it it is a very real thing and now talking to so many survivors um you hear the same things over and over and over again that what do they say um it, well a lot of them have been very traumatized by press press are there for 24 hours and then gone um they don't feel validated. Um, a, a lot of them struggle years later with anger and other things that come up that bubble up and trying to figure out does that relate back to the trauma or not. And what we found actually in doing a lot of group work is that while a lot of them think the trauma may be the biggest thing, it, it actually relates back to maybe early childhood and maybe some things that happened in, in early in their early life that then determine how that trauma affects them. Mm. Um, and so we've had a pilot program already. And when they come out of the program, I heard many of them say, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't the shooting. It wasn't the tragedy. They thought that defined their life and it had for maybe a lot of years, but they're not their trauma. Mm-hmm. And to kind of peel that back is a process and something that I'm really thankful that this program is now in place that can help them peel back those layers um and so many times they've been defined by you know so-and-so survivor of right aurora it's or like survivor of vegas and it's, it's like a tagline and it's not it's not who you are it's what happened to you yeah but it's not your tagline and that goes for so many people in life yeah. For whatever trauma that someone's been we through. define ourselves by yeah. trauma and then you yeah. can't let yourself move past it yeah it's not who you are it's what happened to you, and you can move past that. It takes a lot of work to move past yeah. that. Yeah. Ooh, it does. It's a big commitment. Yeah. It's hard. I think that's why so many mm-hmm. people don't want to do it, because to crack it open, yeah. 
That is like looking at your pain right in the face yeah. and letting yourself feel it to the bottom. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It's um. It's so hard to do. I mean, it's like almost impossible to do that. It feels impossible. It does. But sometimes your darkest moment is your defining moment, and you have to go to that dark place and and that because once you do, then you can grow from there, right? Then it defines how you react and how you respond defines sometimes the rest of your life. So it's gonna, whatever that dark moment is, it's gonna come back. Like it's gonna play a role in your life. Um, And so you have a choice to determine to deal with it now or later. Get in there, do the work, feel it, feel the pain, but like free yourself on some level. You'll never be able to not have it a part of your life yeah. but free yourself from the chains of it yeah or have it affect you for the rest of your life yeah I think in my life and I don't know I think I was just born this way but I tend to dive into hard things you do because you're a powerhouse I do. and I think I think I've had this thought that if I dive in I can get through the hardest thing first and then it'll be easy. It's like I ate my vegetables first when I was a kid <laughs> so I could get to the ice cream like I always like did the hardest just get it over with yeah just get it over with funny that grief and trauma doesn't work like that and I quickly realized when I dove into my grief work thinking I got this in a week I can you know knock it out give me all the lessons let's I'm gonna do timeline I'm gonna go all the way yeah I'm not gonna half-ass it and then I realized oh this is this is not like that this is a journey and but still you still have to take that first step to to dive in and I'm so glad I did um and I, I think you don't need to look at, you don't need to look so far out. Like you just take it one day at a time. And I started looking at it that way. Like I can dive into it today. Today, this is what I can give. And I'm going to show up the best I can every day. And some days it's not much, (laughs) but I am going to look at this as every day. I'm just going to dive into it and continue to walk forward. I just have to take one step today. That's it. What an inspiration you are to do this for yourself and then to turn it around and shine this mirror for other people. I mean, that takes a lot of energy, a lot of energy. You know, I was thinking about it this morning, knowing that I was going to talk to you about it. And I started questioning, where does this courage come from? And I looked back in my life and I realized courage, it starts with little moments that you choose to have that courage and to dive into the hard things. And so then when something big happens, you've built up, you don't just have it overnight. You've um, practiced. Yeah. And I think starting from a little girl, I mean, I had, I had a lovely, beautiful life, but went through some hard stuff when I was young. I had an eating disorder and I don't I did talk too. about that much. Mm-hmm. Um, when did that hosp- start for you? Um, eighth grade. And I was listening to your podcast with Erin and she mentioned uh, when a boy made a comment to her. Erin Oprah, she's yes. a celebrity trainer and she yes. had an eating disorder yes. and it transformed her whole life. Yep. Her, her, her road. Yes. And she, someone made a comment to her and I remember the comment that was said to me and it was, uh, you shouldn't wear horizontal stripes because they make you look fat, fat. And I was not fat by any means at that time, but it was the first comment that, oh, someone I might not I, be perfect. Like right. I, I, this is something that I can control. There are so many things going on in my life and my family life that I couldn't control at that point, but that was something that I could change. And so it, that was the beginning of a very long journey that ended up in inpatient hospital. And really? Yeah. It, so did, it was were you anorexic? Severe. I was anorexic. Um, I mean, to the point where I had the 
tube and the IVs and wow. they didn't think I was going to make it. Really? And still, I think one of the few that um, made it through that program, that was back when no one really talked about it either. There weren't great therapeutic programs. Um, it was an eating disorder ward next to a psych ward. Wow. So wow. that was an experience at 17. So you kind of started at, at what, how old? Eighth grade. Was it just slow? It was slow until probably my sophomore year. And I think the summer of my sophomore year is when I was admitted. When did yeah. people that, when did people start knowing? My mom, of course, noticed right away that something was wrong. But I was playing so many sports that they chalked it up to, even the doctors chalked it up to, she's just playing too many. I was playing four sports and the figure skating. So, so forgetting to eat and yeah, busy and yeah. all that. And then my mom started putting some real guidelines in place. You have to gain it back or, you know, certain things that I wasn't doing. And so that then uh, she knew something was definitely wrong, but even the doctors weren't admitting it or um, weren't willing to consider that that was what was going on. I was real good at hiding it. It yeah. is a skill. Mm-hmm. When yeah. I was, when I would be bulimic, I would like, I, my parents never even knew until I told them later on down the mm-hmm. road. Cause like when people were like out of the house or sleeping or you find little bathrooms and like make yourself throw up and yeah. like, and then you just move on with your life and don't yeah. even talk about it. It's yeah. just so quiet. Yeah. It's like this really secret it sickness. Is. It really is. That and is like in the beginning, you kind of feel like you're empowered because mm-hmm. you're like taking control. And people and, maybe, I, for me, I was losing weight. So people were making good comments. Like, yeah. oh, you look great. You lost mm-hmm. a few pounds, by the way, to an eighth grader. Never make that comment. No. And I, so that was positive reinforcement like, for oh, this me. this is working. Yeah, I found I'm a way. healthy. This is all under, I found yeah. a way to do it. Yep. Father's Day is coming. A day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us. To crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? everyone. But the Bartesian cocktail maker, it's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all natural bitters. So dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. So is that yeah. what fuels it for you? Is that like you were getting this positive response? Mm-hmm. And so you were loving the way that people were talking about you. I'm a natural achiever. Yeah. And if you're you probably t- a three on the Enneagram, t- aren't you? I'm a one. Oh, a one. Yeah, because okay. I want to save the world. A perfectionist who wants yeah. to save the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's powerful <laughs> when, when used yeah. not, in the right way. one is a three. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, it was it was almost an achiever status for me. Yes. You wanted it to be yes. perfect. And I had goals and I could accomplish those. And I remember even when it came to fitness, I was, my mom was taking me to try to run the mile in a certain amount of time. We had the president's fitness test and national fitness test. And so I remember practicing around the track and it, it all became like this big health initiative that I was just getting healthy. But because I'm an achiever and a perfectionist, I'm going to take it to the extreme. And, and you're going to love the price. Yep. Before I knew it, I was 80 some pounds in a hospital room with an IV in my arm and had no idea how I ended up there. And there was a verse. So in in my room, my mom had put a verse above my bed and it was what's now a tattoo on my arm, uh, which is Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And I remember there was one night where the doctors were really worried I maybe wouldn't make it through the night. My so heart was your really body weak. shutting down? Yeah. Like your organs yeah. and stuff? Yeah. They had already begun to do that. And they come in and told me that they were going to watch me that night. And I, I remember praying and say, God, if I wake up and see this verse, or if I, I didn't even see the verse. I said, if I wake up, um, I'm going to fight like hell. And I woke up. It was the first verse I saw. And I remember being like, oh, can I cuss on here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. I really wanted to just give up. I didn't want to fight. It just seemed insurmountable. Was life hard, too hard for you at this point? Oh, it just, the disorder was so loud. Had it just consumed every bit of your being? I couldn't even eat or look at food or anything without seeing a number or without counting things. Like, I just didn't know how I was going to, how my brain was going to get back to normal is what I would say. Yes. Like, it's, how could you do it mm-hmm. without becoming yeah. a beached whale yeah I just didn't know it was too big it felt like something had come over me and I didn't know how to shake it like I just felt like this thing wouldn't get off my shoulder or get off my back like that you would never be able to live a normal life yeah, because the only that. way that you knew how to to maintain whatever yeah. you're maintaining is the sickness yeah it felt like bondage yeah like I, I just felt like I was in this bondage and um, so what do you do that next morning when you wake up and you're like, okay, I'm going to fight. How do you even start? I, I had to trust because while I didn't see it, I had to trust the therapist and the doctors and the wow. people that were. You relinquish this big control. I had to let it go back to the open hand. Because you're literally like, going to die. Yeah, I was hanging on so tight to what I thought was the solution. And I had to relinquish that okay, this isn't working. What my solution is, is not working. And I'm literally in this hospital bed. So I'm going to let it go. I'm going to relinquish that to someone else. And whatever they tell me, I'm going to do. So you just did everything they said. 
I bet that was so hard. It was a process. Yeah. I did. Part of it was going on antidepressants. I mean, there was that whole piece part. And the other half was literally trusting God that you're going to fight this battle for me and you've already won it. And I just got to get out of the way. And is that when your faith really kicked in? Mm -hmm. It's when it became my own faith. Not I just had, what you've been taught. Not what I've been taught. That's a it big was, difference. Too. This is where God's going to show up for me. Um, and I'm going to see him show up in so many ways. And I was the only girl, I was one of the youngest in the ward at that time, who made it out of that ward and never went back. And one of the few who survived. Because that was someplace you went and you didn't come out are you serious yeah so I remember there was one other 17 year old girl there with me and she was back in treatment all the way through her 30s and I lost contact with her after that but I never went back and they even the doctors would invite me to come back and talk to the talk to them and I it was hard then because I didn't really know looking back I can see how I came out of it but in the moment it was like I just felt really blessed that you know it was again it was one step at a time Today, ever? I'm going to trust. Today, I'm going to make this right decision. I'm going to do the next right thing. Have you ever talked to your mom or your dad about their feelings during that time? Oh, yeah. Because we had to go to a lot of family therapy. Um, my dad checked out quite a bit. I, by the way, I don't blame him for that. I don't know how you could watch your daughter starve herself to death. Like, I just, uh, he yeah. he didn't have the tools. Mm-hmm. Um mom is the one that fought like hell to get me help and she actually and and I will say this when you're going through a disorder or an addiction or anything you turn into somebody else like my reactions were I was volatile totally (laughs) um and so I said a lot of things to her and my parents in that time that I really do regret and I've since apologized and I just I am so thankful that they understood that that was the disorder of course talking and loved me through that my mom often says I lost my daughter for three years and I got her back and she had then because I was one of the first to go through it in high school other girls of course in college and otherwise I found who began to struggle she became the source Mm. for their moms wow so look at you and your mom turning your pain into your purpose I think because I've seen it like when I talk about it, I've, I've just seen God show up and I've seen him use use the hardest things for his glory and because there is that track record I can trust <laughs> that he will continue to do that it's not like he's just gonna one time decide not to show up but we have to let go but he will let you go through the pain yeah oh yeah yeah you have to go through the fire I think it's always about, you know, you see, you hear the analogy about the pot going into the, um, is it the kennel? Probably. I'm terrible with, my brain is broken always. And it's like, it's under tremendous heat, uh, for the pot to be formed and. Oh, the kelm. The kelm. Thanks. Kennel. I mean, yes. And that's, that's how I feel about life is you have to go through the hard things to see the beauty. It's so funny. It's not funny. It's not the right word. And I'm, I don't know how to speak correctly about any of this stuff. So if I'm fumbling over my words, like I always feel nervous talking to people about big moments that are very grief ridden mm-hmm. or like 
talking about Erin Opria, she yeah. was, she fought for like 10 years. She was mm-hmm. the first female to head a platoon and she was like, she served our country in such a way. It's like, I always struggle with saying things right, you know, because it's oh. so touchy and it's so big and it's so painful and it's so mm-hmm. um, life and death, you mm-hmm. know, that like, I don't ever want to be like, oh, just casually talking about this stuff. But it's like, this is stuff that we need to talk about because we're all struggling on some level. Mm -hmm. And you sharing a story like this and your journey, maybe someone thought they're at this hopeless spot and they hear you Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh my God, okay, I'm not over. It's not done for me. Like, I'm not finished. Like, I, yes, I am in the depths of hell right now and I don't know how to get out of here, but Laura did it. I can do it. You know, I think that it's so important. Hope is so powerful. Hope is the expectation that something good will come from this. It's not knowing it to be absolutely true. That's fact. Hope is that you expect something good to come. And I've found that working with survivors, working with girls who have, who struggle with eating disorders, it's, the ones that can get through the pain and the grief and the trauma are the ones that have the hope because that's what they cling to. And I think that has been over the course of my life, the place that I go back to that everything around me may be burning down, but I have hope that there's going to be good from this. What does hope fulfilled feel like? after surviving your eating disorder and almost dying and then having hope and actually having hope become fulfilled. How does that feel? Because for people who right now who feel hopeless, what does it feel like when you get to the other side? What happens? It's humbling. I guess that's the first word that came to my brain is that when you see it come to fruition and you see the purpose and the beauty come from it, you don't forget the pain but you're humbled that it was used for such a greater purpose. And what changes in you? Like how, how is the hopeless person different yeah. from the hope filled person? No, the, the hope fulfilled, not even hopeful, hope yeah. fulfilled. Uh, you become more confident. Uh, and so the next time you go through a p- difficult part of your journey, um, you have more courage. Yeah. You, you can look back and remember, wow, I've been brought through these obstacles, these valleys, and the valley is a little bit more uh, familiar, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not as scary, um, it's not as intimidating, because you know you've been there before, and you've come out before, and you've come out every single time. And like you you're, actually, you're st- they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it kills you, but, <laughs> but every time if it doesn't, you, you survive, you realize mm-hmm. you survive. And I think that's what it has done for me is every time I've looked back and remembered, Oh, I survived. I'm going to survive this one too. And what does God feel like? Do you feel God? Yeah, actually. Um, okay. I'm going to read you something. So I want to hear it. Uh, when I found out, the day I found out that Austin had passed away, I got the phone call. I was at my grandmother's funeral. And to layer grief upon grief is too much. Uh, no one should ever have to walk that path. 
But I remember walking into her memorial, already gutted, I mean, feeling like a shell of a human and standing with my family as we sang. And a song came on, um, or one of the hymns, She Loved Hymns. Um, And I remember, I'm going to read you the words. You'll know it. Um, And I remember standing there as they sang, and me literally have nothing in me. And I knew I had to sing the song. I knew I had to say the words, even though I couldn't see it, I couldn't maybe believe it in that moment, but I knew it to be true. And so can I read you? Yes, okay. please do. It's a, I'm not going to sing cause that's <laughs> your, your gift. No. Oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made, I see the stars. I hear the mighty thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation, and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Wow. And of course, this, the chorus that everyone knows um, then sings my soul, my yeah. Savior God to thee, how great thou art. And I remember forcing the words out. Because at that point, you probably don't feel like God is so great. No, oh, no. I At that point, point I just felt like a ghost really and but I knew that those words were true like if he created the universe and the stars he had that moment that that moment he'd already been there in that moment for me and I was standing in a place that was ordained that was sacred that if I could look up and see the scars stars I knew that God was already there even though I didn't feel it. So sometimes you just don't feel it because I was so overcome with grief, but I I knew it and I clung to the words. And so I, I remember in that moment singing that, how great thou art, and thought I'm, even though I don't feel it in this moment, I know this in my heart and I have to say it. And that was a turning point. I'm gonna say a turning point. It was the beginning of a process, but that's what I clung to through the whole process, that I know this to be true. Even if my heart does not feel it in this moment, it is the truth that I'm standing on. I can't believe you could go there in that moment. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) I mean, really. You you surprise yourself with what you can do. Yeah. And this isn't even all of your story because you had a brain injury. I had forgotten about that part. That seems so insignificant now. I mean, that's like most people's like most significant thing that's ever happened Uh, in their life. Oh man. Um, well that's, that's more due to my, um, clumsiness, <laughs> but still, <laughs> and, uh, my adventurous spirit. Yeah. I, I do tend to get injured frequently, uh, just because I am a risk taker, uh, and I do love adventure sports. And so I had been surfing, um, first wave of the season, of course, and took a surfboard uh, to the head and yeah, ended up with um, a pretty severe concussion and um, post-traumatic concussion. I don't know what the term is, but anyway, it ended up lasting a long time and seven staples, no, 12, 12 staples. And yeah, I I laid in a dark room for a long time for that to heal. Yeah. I just like, 
you've gone through a lot of really a lot of emotional um like a lot a lot of really heavy emotional things and i'm not saying you know because you said something earlier and people say this um no one should have to go through this stuff Mm -hmm. but i feel like we hear that phrase said often but people are still always going through it so god is not because like we shouldn't it's awful it's traumatic but it's like we all keep not i mean some worse have more trauma than others but Mm -hmm. we all keep having to walk through these traumas yeah so is it part of this life and this process for us like do we have to have it i yeah yes i think it's it's life right it if life was always good what would we need to depend upon god for Mm -hmm. i think in those moments it's i don't think he intentionally gives hard things to people but it they're part of life and it's a moment to take a step back and realize we're actually not in control of any of it. And I think just accepting that this is all part of the journey, mm-hmm. the highs and the lows, and mm-hmm. we got to take the lows with the highs. And there's such beauty in that because I can look back and see at the, the moments I've grown the most. Yeah. We're in the valleys. Yeah, always. Which totally sucks sometimes. Sucks balls. <laughs> to think of that. It does. Uh, but yeah, and so then when you look back, you can be thankful for the valleys because you've seen how much you've grown as a human. And the valleys strip you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They strip all the bullshit that we carry around yeah. because when you're in the valley, you can't bullshit. Yeah. It's You're exposed. Yeah you're exposed or you get rock hard and you block like you were saying like you have like you go into it or you protect 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 and block it yeah the only way to really heal pain too is is in community and i agree with that it's interesting that the u.s reports nine times more pain than the rest of the world which isn't because we have more pain because there's countries that are in constant war and um in battle and or who are starving and have no food or have to walk miles to get clean water so so we have we don't have more pain but we report higher amounts of it and it's because we don't have ways in our culture to offload pain in community where other cultures, you think about villages and how they surround their communities and they raise their children together and a lot of them don't have air conditioning. So they're all outside and they're playing together and they're communing together and they eat together. America, we have so much that we isolate. Yeah. And then we can't offload that pain. So it seems insurmountable. And that's what I love about some of the programs that we're, we're doing in group therapy. It's you have to heal together. Yeah. And our natural share. instinct is to isolate because mm-hmm. we don't want to let people know we're in that pain or that we're not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have to be able to show our broken pieces. And that's scary. It is. Yeah. It's yeah. so scary because it's like, I think until you do it, you built, you build up this perception of yourself that you mm-hmm. want people to see you as. And yeah. then if you share your pain, it's like, you're not this infallible human. You're not this bulletproof human. You're not this person who can't be, broken it's like I'm freaking broken yeah and it's like but once you can say that out loud and like let it go Mm -hmm. and share it it's almost like why was I trying to front 
Yeah. You feel so much uh-huh. freer. Because other people then, it invite it opens the door for them to share mm-hmm. brokenness with you. I never experienced that until um, I experienced loss. And suddenly I was getting emails and calls and people were sharing their stories. And I thought, why did I not know that this was <laughs> existing? I felt like my little safe bubble of a world exploded and I could then see outside that and see all the pain and suffering, but such beauty in that too. And, um, I, that was a gift that came from this is that I now have a deeper connection with people. And, uh, cause when you have a grief bond, yes, it's yes. deep. Mm-hmm. I interviewed Allison Moore and her father killed her mother and then mm-hmm. himself. And she said her sister, Shelby Lynn, who Allison's a Grammy nominee, her sister won a Grammy. They're so musically talented. When you have a trauma bond, it's a level like none other. Yeah. So if you can share and get in community, then you can heal together and it, yeah. like you can make it. I love what you said. You can make your pain your purpose. I love that. Yeah. Tell me, you've been talking about this, but like kind of like say it now in like a in a concise spot so people can hear this. <laughs> like we know the we don't. I mean, there's all sorts of phases of grief and pain mm-hmm. and suffering but we know how that feels and how we want to hide from it and avoid it and mm-hmm. hate it and anger and all that what is the beauty of grief and suffering and pain kind of like how you got on the other side of your uh, your eating disorder and you found you were hope fulfilled mm-hmm. what is on the other side of going to the grief and the suffering and the pain what is there I don't know that I'm totally on the other side and I don't know that or what are you looking I ever for? What do you will see? be, but I will tell you the beauty for me has been being able to sit with others in their grief and being able to hold space for them and realize that as a natural fixer, which is what I am, I don't need to fix it. In fact, there's no fixing it. It's just being able to say, I'm going to sit with you in it and walk the journey with you it's been such a beautiful gift to me because I've never been able to do that before in fact many years ago um, I was leading a group at an agency where I worked and one of the uh, women lost her mother and found out um, at work and so we had all women on the team and so of course we all rush into her office and you know they're comforting her and she's very emotional and my first reaction was Okay, I'm going to go to HR. I'm going to get you the days off. I'm going to get all the, you know, all the work off your plate. I'm going to, and so I went straight to what can I do? It's not what she needed. And someone had to do that, but it's not what she needed in that moment. She just wanted someone to sit with her. I didn't know how to do that before. Now that I've walked through it, I now understand that. I don't need to take their grief away from them. Grief is their connection to the person they lost. It's the way that you know that you love deeply and to take that away is trying to take that gift from someone. So I don't try to take away grief anymore. It's just, I'm gonna sit with you in it because I've been there and I know. And so I think that has been such a beautiful gift for me on the other side of this is to reach back and be able to relate and understand that journey so much better than I ever had. Wow. It's a lot of like listening and hearing and letting God work through you. It's a lot of, I mean, is patience the word? I don't know what the word is. It's a lot of just like. I would say surrender. Surrender. Yeah. That's what it it feels like is just 
a an open hand like I started with the beginning is just I have a tendency in life to hang on so tightly and think that I'm controlling we all do don't we it's yeah and when you realize you're not the one writing you're not writing the book no you can let go of the pen yeah yeah how do you feel led how do you know where to go next? Like, how do you let go of the pin? What does it feel like when God's flowing through you? And how do you know where to go and what to do? How do you know to give 5% more each year mm-hmm. in your company? Like, how do you know that's what you're supposed to do? And that's God saying, this is it. Yeah. I'm going to lead you. What does that feel like? Uh, a couple, a couple things. Cause I don't think God ever speaks in one way or moves in one way. Uh, one is just the open doors. Yeah. My ask and my prayer every morning is, God, open the door. You make the way where there is no way. And I'll walk through. I love, love, love And that. if the door shut very clearly, I'm not, my mom always said, um, if the door shuts, get your face out of the way. It'll hurt a lot less. <laughs> so <laughs> that was good advice. Very practical. Uh, and so that that is one of the very obvious ways. But so many times we do, we try to, we get upset when the door shuts and try to I get in. I remember when I was younger and I didn't get the job that I wanted and I, I cried for days and then another door opened. It was the job I was supposed to have. Right. And so, right. so many times we just focus on what we can't have when there's something better. Um, so that's one way. It, the other way is, especially when it comes to giving is to give, listen, you cannot give God. So I don't think God would ever say, don't give that much. <laughs> um, in fact, it's probably the opposite. I'm constantly, Saying, okay, maybe. Okay, I'll, okay, yeah, I'll okay, do it, I'll do please. It. Like with my eyes closed. <laughs> um, I think for me in giving is again, what is going to be the amount? It's right past the point that's comfortable. Okay. How um, do you know where you want to give? So specifically for the company, when we did the give back, um, we wrote blank checks and gave them to our employees. Um, so anywhere between like five and $15,000, they got checks, each one of them, depending on the, the time at the company, their tenure, and they got to choose where they wanted to give the money. And it was wow. one of those beautiful experiences because- That makes me wanna cry. Oh, it was, it's very emotional for a lot of them because that that's a good sum of money. And they've worked all year. I, I don't view it as mine. Again, I see it that they worked for that. And it also allows them to, um, to really live the culture of giving and the whole requirement is that they have to go to deliver the check. So I even have a, oh. somebody this week who's flying to New York to deliver her check this week. Could it be to an individual? It has it to be like to a, a nonprofit. Okay. So as long as it's a 501c3, yeah. um, they can give it there. And then at the holiday party, we all go around and we talk about where we gave it and why. And it's, I mean, most people go to work holiday parties and they leave, if, you know, in an Uber, <laughs> like, like truck in an Uber. Yeah. Our holiday party, like we bring the tissues. <laughs> like, yeah. It's very emotional, but just to hear the, their stories and you start to learn about somebody, who they are and people who have are nervous speaking in public stand up and give long speeches. We have to cut them off because they're so passionate about an organization that helped a parent through cancer or helped one girl's dyslexic. And she, this was an organization that helped her overcome her dyslexia, which I didn't even know that. Right. So you find out so much about people and, and it allows them to have a seat at the table with these organizations wow. that then they can 
champion that. So I get emails all the time from uh, nonprofits thanking me. And I was like, it's not me. It's thank the person that made that donation. They chose, you know, they chose that. But you're providing the space and the opportunity for it, which is what an amazing work environment to be in. To not only get to do creative, like inspirational deals and visions with brands and artists and entertainers, you're making amazing art in that way Mm -hmm. from the heart. And then you're using your company to give back to this community, to this world. You're really impacting your culture on a real level. And all the people that work for you get to rise up and they get to rise to the occasion and they get to rise to be their best selves and they get to rise to give back in a way that matters to them. Like, how could that not create a great work environment? You know, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure you have your hiccups and like your random stuff, but like how fulfilling to wake up every day and be like, that's where I work. This is my purpose. You know, we're we're really blessed. But you've created that culture. You've created that I've been a vessel for that. You've let it flow. Yeah. How about that? Yes. You've allowed it. Yes. You haven't I, been like, no, we're going to do a typical business. You show up, you work nine to five, do your hours, do what I say. Yeah. I mean, you could easily do that. I, I hope I've been a good steward. And that's how I view my role as a leader at the company is I'm a good steward of the many blessings that we've had and time that people show up to work every day. They spend more time with me than they do their families. And I know now more than ever, time is such a precious gift. You just don't know how much you have of it. It's the only non-renewable resource. And so if they're gonna show up every day and give me their time, I want them to know and understand that they're doing it for a greater purpose. Um, And that's, I think that's the reason why um, Honestly, we've been so blessed too and and why they show up to do the hard things when we have to push through the nose and we have to think outside the box and we hit obstacles. It gives you a different meaning behind pushing through than just let's have a great campaign. It's we're pushing through because there's a little girl in Vietnam who's enslaved that our dollars are gonna help free next month right and that's actually a, a true a, a real example of somebody on my team has invested there and we know last year there were 40 girls who were saved because of art 40 because of his inv- 40, 40 um girls. because of his investment and so it's like when it's like we think about that when it's the late nights and it's 1 a.m and i'm trying to get through a powerpoint presentation it's like okay but it's 1 a.m somewhere in vietnam and my work will directly impact that person's life God, you're going to, you are already changing the world, but this is like, I'm glad I'm getting to interview you because this is going to be, you are going to be on such a level of impact, Lara, with the way that you're going. Like, I feel lucky to know you because I'm like, you are, this is Oprah level stuff. Like, (laughs) because to me, Oprah uses her whole platform to change the world for good. Obviously I don't know Oprah and I'm sure everyone has sized him, but like, to me, when I see Oprah, she is using her platform in mm-hmm. such a way to make the world a better place. And like, yeah. I hear what you're saying and it's like, wow, you are really doing it. Oh, you're doing it for the you. right reasons and for God. And but you are so such are you. a vessel. You're using your platform and giving people the opportunity to share their stories and encourage so many women. I, I mean, I, I almost looked at that like that was the camera. <laughs> like I was talking to the camera. I was so nervous to 
to speak and I don't do this often and you have such a gift of making people feel comfortable and open to share and encouraging them and empowering them. Oh my goodness. I, I can tell you, I've, I've done many panels and I get so nervous every time. And this has just been so easy and lovely. And the way that you um, create a way, a beautiful way for somebody to, to share is really just an incredible gift that you have. You're sweet to say that. I just have, my love has been, I've always, uh, people who follow this podcast, my struggle has been self-worth. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know why. I had great parents. Like, I mean, we're actually, Michael and I are going to go to on-site here soon, so I'm going to okay. probably di- dive into yeah. it. Maybe uh, come up with the root of it. Oh, it's so hard. I had the same thing. And I still do, by the way. It doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. It's it's the voices. Mm-hmm. Always have the voice that says, I was just mentioning speaking in public. I'm going to go have a vulnerability hangover after this. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Everyone does. I People okay. call me Ashley Eicher. I love her. I did. She had such, she's a host of Nashville. She's on this podcast. She it was just like this, such a soulful conversation, uh-huh. sharing so much. She called me the next day and she's like, um, she said those words. She's like, I have a vulnerability hangover. She's uh-huh. like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know. I don't know about that interview. And it has gotten so much love. She's yeah. gotten so much oh, love from so it. Because just like this, like for you to share these things, it's very intimidating and yeah. fi- and like it'd be one thing for us just to have this conversation but you know a yeah. lot of people are going to listen to it and it's like shoot I just told everybody everything yeah I just I'm naked you know well this is something and it's I know Ashley quoted Brene and I'll quote Brene too mm-hmm. but she always says if you're you know don't accept criticism from people who aren't in the arena yeah and that has been kind of the quote I've lived by and for you too like you're in the arena like good for us. We're I guess like, yeah. like don't accept noise from yeah. people that sit on the sidelines. They don't have a right yeah. to have an input. That's so true. Right? And so I think that's what I've kind of put on the armor and the blinders of it. If, if it's not coming from a source that has earned trust that knows me. It and knows how hard it is to ar- put yes, yourself in the arena. Then it's not a voice I need to listen to. And I that's also learned in my journey that my voices the thing, the 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 voice that tells me I'm not good enough. I shouldn't have shared that. What are they gonna think? I that voice has a purpose. Sometimes it's good because it drives me right through kind of the hard things, and sometimes it it doesn't. And I have to learn to take that voice. And at onsite they do this, but I visualize actually a, a person speaking to me, and I I will turn and say, "You are not needed right now." And you're going to sit here in the corner and you're not going to speak again until I need you. But thank you for trying to protect me. Wow. And, but this is not, this is not needed. I got this. And so it's, it's, it was a way for me to be like, thank you. For trying to show I'm up good. for me. Yes. You're trying to do your job. Yes. Because sometimes the voice is good. Sometimes the voice spurs you on. In some cases it's not. And you can, and I always thought I can get rid of it. You can't get rid of it. No. You can learn to control it and you can learn to speak truth over it. And so I think those tools really helped me. And I also realized I would, I would tell myself negative things. You're not good enough. You're not pretty. Cause I would be, I would be others to hurting me. Mm, if I hurt yeah. myself first and nothing they can say will bother me. You've already, I've already thought it. I've already thought it. Already thought I'm already it. on already that know, one. You've already right? claimed it. Yeah, I, I know I'm not good it. enough. I'm yeah. already saying it. Okay. I'm on yeah. the floor with my legs up yeah. like a, like a yeah. dog in yeah. submission. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so working, recognizing that, and working through that has really helped me 
Also, last thing, and I would recommend this if you don't have it. I have a resiliency committee. Okay. So it's three women. They are, are these real people. Real people. Okay. They are older than me. Um, have lived more life. They are all. I'm not going to say their names because they all have public profiles. Okay. Um, they're amazing women of faith. Um, they're for me. They're, they're for in the, me. They're in the arena, and I ask them. I guess a, a while ago to say to be my resiliency committee. So when, like, if I come off this podcast and I have a vulnerability hangover, <laughs> I will ask them. I'll call them or I will ask them to pray or whatever it is at moments where I need that reinforcement. You need that strength. Mm-hmm. And it's changed everything for me. It's it's knowing I have three people who are in the arena, have my back and will speak truth to me. And I trust those voices. I don't need to hear the other voices. So that was That's um, really profound. Yeah. That I didn't was, even dream that up. Oh, a therapist told me I can't come up with these things on my own. <laughs> That's he, really amazing. He, he's a man too. He was like, I think you need a resiliency committee. I thought, I don't, that sounds amazing. How do I get one of those? And I, I prayed about it for a long time and these three names just kept coming up. And I thought, I mean, and they're pretty well known. So I thought there's no way they're friends of mine, but I thought I don't want to ask them to do one more thing. And it doesn't really take time. It's just, it's probably actually while. refueling yeah, for them. It is. And, Right away, they said yes, and they are there. If I and I don't do it often, but there's if you some need hard it. conversation that I'm going into. I'll say I, I really need you to pray. I'm going. I'm going to war today. <laughs> and can you pray? Can you pray over me? And they they do. And and just knowing that I think gives me the courage that oh they they've they already prayed away. I'm just gonna walk through. Yeah. And also knowing that like you're not alone and that mm-hmm. you're doing hard things. You're putting yourself yourself out there, and you have the support of these other people in the arena who are saying. Yeah do it like you said do it this is important yeah yes it is terrifying and you are probably going to leave here and have a vulnerability hangover for sure (laughs) let's just go ahead and get that out of the way okay (laughs) expect it but it's like it's important yeah it's really important and the fact that you're willing to share and talk about your journey on really really hard topics that is what people really are craving Mm -hmm. to hear that is what I have realized from this podcast and Mm -hmm. this podcast has ended up blessing me more than I could have ever imagined, just to get to have a conversation with you, to have yeah. a conversation with women on this level where I'm getting to talk about real mm-hmm. stuff. I'm getting to talk about places that are insecure for us, hard moments. Like my podcast today is my former bandmate, Taylor Lynn. She struggled with mm-hmm. so much addiction mm-hmm. and like relapse and struggled yeah. with her marriage and all this. Stuff. But now she's on the other side of it, constantly working, does the footwork. Good. She shared about it. And it's like that stuff changes people. Like yeah. if people listening changes her. It's and it heal. It's healing to talk about the fact that yeah. we're not freaking perfect. Yeah. And we're it not. reduces the stigma, yeah. especially for addiction. I mean, something that clearly I've, I've now learned and yeah. am passionate about. So for someone to have the courage to, to share that journey and, and just inspire so many others and, and really end that stigma. I feel like we've come a long way in mental health. Mm-hmm. So there's not a stigma attached to mental health anymore. I, I hope that it goes one step farther and covers addiction too. So good yeah. for her. I can't wait to hear it. It's so good. And I just appreciate you. I talked to you forever. We're okay. already an hour 15 and I, okay. <laughs> I know you got your day to go to and all the stuff, but I always wrap up. I mean, there's so many things I want to keep talking to you about, okay. honestly, because I feel like I could talk to you we'll for hours. We'll do a part two. We'll do a part okay. two. I always leave with leave your light. And basically, mm-hmm. you've shared a lot of amazing stuff today. Mm-hmm. If you were just going to leave a little sound bite, what do you want people to know? Oh, so many things. Um, 
one, I would want people to know, um, oh gosh, this is like, does everyone, I knew that you were going to ask this too, because I've heard all the other podcasts and I don't know why I thought I'm going to know when I get there. I don't know. Well, just, what, uh, what just, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? The first thing that came to mind is that there is light and what's amazing about light is that darkness cannot overcome it. It's so true. You have a room you full can, of darkness. You can have as much darkness as you want to heap on light. It cannot overcome it. So whatever darkness you're in, there is a light. And even if you can't see it, hope and trust me that it's there. Um, and no matter how dark your day is today that know that it's still there and you will see it you will find it like the bible says seek and you will find and my prayer is that anybody listening to this that feels that hopelessness um can hear in my voice that there's hope um and that they will cling to that um and they will find the light you're amazing you're such an amazing person in everything that you do, in the choices that you make, the way you choose to move through your life, the way you've chosen to move through your grief, the way you're using it to help others, in your business, the way you use your business to build creativity, bring people together, make beautiful things and still help the world in a big way. You're really a really special person. Thank and you. I'm so thankful that I got to be a part of your story today and sharing it. And thank you for coming on and dealing with your vulnerability hangover. Okay. <laughs> In the future. Yeah. Thank you so much. I love You're you. The best. Love you. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.